This week we've got great offers at your local Supervalue like Supervalue Fresh Irish Park Bone Chicken Breasts 610 gram half price Supervalue Fresh Irish Trip Loin Steak Save 33% and great half price laundry offers like Personal Liquid 24 Wash 5 Euro 16 Supervalue Believe in low prices To help us all keep safe please continue to adhere to our safety guidelines in store Welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and I'm all on my own this week because our political editor Rob Parsons is very busy running our news desk and keeping the good ship YP sailing. So I'm afraid you're stuck with me, but we've got two great guests to keep you entertained. Um, first of all, for this week, we've got Tracy Harrison, who is the chief executive of the Northern Housing Consortium. Now, They've released a report this week which really paints a bleak picture of how a lot of people in the North have been living during lockdown. We've got stories of, you know, houses in disrepair that people are having to spend 24 hours a day in because they can't leave their home. And there's some really, really harrowing stories in there. So we'll hear from Tracy. And then we've also got James Vincent, who is the BBC's uh, political editor for Look North. And... You know, we're going to have a bit of a chat about what it's like covering this pandemic, the latest on West Yorkshire restrictions, but also the kind of importance of reporting from Yorkshire and making sure that our region has this voice on a national stage. And they've also just launched a podcast called Yorkshire Cast, which will be telling us a bit about as well. And we welcome a bit of healthy competition here at Pod's Own Country. So... That's what we've got in store for you today. Let's get into it and hear from Tracy Harrison now. So hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really good to have a chat. Hi, thank you for having me. No, of course. And as I um, as our listeners all know from the intro, um, I was just explaining, you guys at the consortium have put out this report um, this week that we had in the Yorkshire Post as well. And it's called Lockdown, Rundown breakdown which is a pretty pretty bleak title but it's a pretty bleak report really on the state of well the real kind of state of housing in the north and the situations people have been living in in lockdown can you kind of I guess set us off by giving us an overview of what you guys have found yeah well I mean the for us the the starting point for this really was that as an organization um we've been concerned for a long time not just about um, increasing supply of new homes across the north, but about the quality of the north's existing homes. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we did a piece of research um, with the Smith Institute back in um, 2019, and we'd asked them there to sort of, you know, lift the lift the bonnet and have a have a look at uh, what was underneath in terms of the quality of the north's homes. And um, that was pretty shocking and revealed. Um, that there were over a million non-decent homes in the owner-occupied sector and over 350,000 non-decent homes in the private rented sector across the north. And that that was something that we found really worrying and and particularly um, because nearly half of all of those those non-decent homes in the north had somebody living in them with either a long-term illness or a disability or over the age of, of 60. So 
you know, and the links between health and housing are are well known and understood and reported on. So this has been an area of focus for us for some time. So at the start of lockdown, we moved very quickly to work with uh, the University of Huddersfield to commission this piece of, of work and explore just what life uh, was like for people living in poor quality accommodation, predominantly private rented sector accommodation um, during lockdown. And and as you say, the, I mean, it, give, it gives us a very rich picture, actually. It's um, quite detailed, the, the research. Um, it, it's not a huge sample, but I think it's reflective of, of people's experiences um, across mm-hmm. these 10 years. And um, it, it was really concerning, um, the, the impact that it was having on people's physical and mental health. I'm so interested in this, right, because... I think a lot of maybe the photos on social media and things we saw during the lockdown, a lot of people might have thought, I don't know, are people kind of enjoying their gardens or mm. spending more time with their family and things like that. But it seems from the point that, you know, if there's people in kind of shared accommodation or like in rundown housing or maybe don't have access to outdoor spaces, this time was a real nightmare, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I mean, I think that for those of us who have been lucky enough to have space to work and have access to um, to outside space and, and green space um, during lockdown, I think, you know, we have been very aware of that and, and incredibly grateful um, for that. I mean, what came out in this research was people had been aware that their housing was substandard but they weren't being confronted with it 24-7 until mm. lockdown happened. And, um, you know, things that they maybe hadn't been happy about previously or had reported, might have reported previously as repairs or, or you know, niggles about the state of their housing that they were coping with previously. When they were confronted with that day in, day out, without the ability to, to escape to their place of work or, or you know, have your normal sort of social interactions when you're just confronted with that all day every day then it had that grinding effect on people absolutely so it sounds like what you're saying is that you know a lot of these problems were there before but like you say people weren't at home 24 7 you may be going out to work during the day and you know you're not actually when you think about it you don't really spend the majority of your time in your home if you're out for most of the day but the situation before sounds like it was pretty bad as well. What what did we already know? You touched on it a bit at the start about the state of state of housing in the north. Is there, I suppose, is there? We always hear this term, don't we? But is there a north south divide in this as well? Well, I think that you know the 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 issue of housing quality is particularly prevalent in the north, and that's mm-hmm. because we have a higher proportion. Um, of older homes and um, you know we have we have a significant um, proportion of our housing stock which was built before um, 1919 and mm-hmm. and often you're talking about housing that was put up very quickly and very cheaply to house workers and wasn't expected to last 100 years and mm-hmm. um, isn't uh, necessarily fit for 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 modern life. So, I mean, certainly we we were aware of um, the issues of, of poor quality. I mean, we've got 
uh, you know, the, the north is a very diverse um, landscape. You know, it's not a homogenous. There is there isn't a northern housing market. That uh, there are you know, a, a series of different housing markets in in the north. But we do have a number of of those housing markets that are very weak. That have seen years of of underinvestment, and we have these concentrations of um, often pre-war uh, low value properties. And then what you've seen is this, you know, really rapid growth of the private rented sector. So, I mean, the, the private rented sector has doubled in size since the, the, the mid 2000s. So it's, it's a much larger um, tenure now than it, than it was um, previously. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're seeing um, some really worrying levels of, of, of disrepair and, and non, you know, non-decent non homes. I mean, yeah, that's, no. I certainly don't want to rubbish the private rented sector um, as a whole. I mean, the private rented sector plays a really, you know, useful, um, a, a useful role within the, within the, um, in terms of housing requirements. Hmm. But, you know, we, we have, uh, because it um, has grown so rapidly and um, is, is um, you know, pretty much unregulated, then we, we have seen these areas where, you know, you've, you've got a you've got low values, lack, lack of investment and and um, non-decency. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are, you know, good and bad examples in all, aren't there, for, for sure. And um, I think I just want to touch on a couple of the people that you spoke to in the report, really, because you've, you've quite rightly anonymised all of them, but um, they've been given kind of codes based on, who they are, where they live, um, and how, what kind of property they live in, and that kind of thing. And there's a few that jumped out. I mean, there's a 30-year-old man in Huddersfield who looks like he lives in a HMO, and this sounds like exactly the kind of thing you were just talking about. He said, in the outside garden, the drains were blocked. There was a lot of white substance, and yes, the pipes are blocked. There was damp in my room where I live, but the landlord wasn't taking any notice. There's a lot of rubbish always left behind the alleyway, and whenever I reported these issues... The landlord didn't take any notice. The living conditions weren't ideal or weren't suitable. They were dangerous to my health. He just wasn't listening, so I just didn't know what to do. As a result, that's why I've had to go back and live in my parents at the time being. I go there during the day and then go back to my flat to sleep during the night. What? I mean, that's. I mean, that sounds awful to to kind of start. But what impact? does this have on people? What did they tell, you know, the researchers and you guys? Is it, is it, he talks about his health impact there. I suppose that's physical and mental health, is it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, poor housing can affect your physical health in a, in a number of um, different ways. Um, cardiovascular issues, respiratory issues. Um, I mean, there were a number of respondents within this survey who, um, reported coughs that were being exacerbated, not COVID um, coughs, but, you know, coughs that were being exacerbated by living in damp and mouldy conditions. Um, mm. There were there were people who talked about um, not, you know, not opening windows just to try and retain heat. And so the quality of the air inside the property obviously then deteriorates, which if, um, you know, if you're not getting air circulation, and if you already have some um, respiratory issues, and obviously that that's going to exacerbate it. I mean, the, the example of the the, um, the the guy that you mentioned there, who's living in it in an HMO. 
the other thing that was was really sad i thought was people's reluctance to use the communal areas within hmos because of um, mm. risk of infection and then this you know this um, issue of people living and working from one room you know their bedroom being their office and their you know their, their sitting room and and everything just sort of totally being being restricted to one room i mean they 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 the, the, the guy who's responded there mentioned having raised issues with his landlord and the landlord not taking them seriously, which is really concerning. And what we've seen is um, people either not raising issues with their landlords or certainly not being prepared to push on issues with their landlords because of fears that that might lead to eviction. And um, there was a real sense of precarity, um, people being feeling very insecure about their financial situation and feeling very very insecure about their their home situation about their you know about the security of their of their tenure so um that that was um a really common theme coming coming through that people thought well if i push the landlord on this um either he might evict me or or there could be rent reprisals you know if i put, if i push the issue then the then the rent might um might go up so we've had numerous examples where people were either just putting up with things or in some instances were actually using their own money to fund repairs wow absolutely yes it has been such a worry for people and i want to get i will get onto evictions in a bit because i want to speak a little bit about the eviction ban that was in place um what you said about damp there is really interesting, actually, which is maybe a sentence I never thought I'd um, say, but I imagine you probably say quite a lot in your line of um, your line of work. But there's a bit of a paradox there, isn't there? Because you know you need to open the windows to ventilate a home to make sure you don't get damp, but also I imagine that a lot of the people affected by these issues who are maybe living in poor quality housing across the winter you can't keep windows and doors open all winter while still trying to heat a home is that something that people tell you is a is an issue because that's that seems quite yeah paradoxical to me well i mean the the issue there was about people not wanting to lose any any heat obviously and mm. and um and and so the way i mean you know people were people were keeping their curtains closed all day to try and retain heat because uh, Another very common theme coming out through this was um, about heating costs. People yes. are really anxious about. Um, obviously, if you if you're in your home all day, um, then then your um, use of utilities is increasing significantly. And I mean, there were examples in there where where people's um, electricity bills had more than doubled. Um, as a result of them being in the, in their homes all day, so I mean. This this issue of how do I stay warm, and particularly where there were children, you know, this was something that people talked talked about a lot. There was there was a real anxiety about being able to afford to to heat the home, and so um, and uh, you know, and then this and this was was done in the sort of spring summer, um, so you can imagine how how severe this is going to be as we move into into the winter period. Absolutely, I mean, we've got someone woman here who's. 44 and is a single mum and she's she's in Manchester I will dare to use an example from outside of Yorkshire um, 
but she said, you know, I worry about managing this home, but mainly because of costs, the cost of heating it, because of the repairs and everything else that's actually needed in the home. On the hottest day of the year, I need to wear a cardigan inside my home because it gets that cold. You literally come inside from outside on the hottest day of the year and you feel like you're walking into a fridge. So on the coldest day of the year, me and my daughter will literally snuggle under blankets in the middle of the bed. So the insulation, heating system because of the floor. Supposedly, I've got loft insulation, but again, the loft insulation is over 30 years old, so it needs to be redone again. She kind of goes on in that in that same kind of uh, same kind of theme, and it's it, people seem to be very much stuck in a cycle. So it's depressing. She's an owner there as well, so it's not just people who are dealing with landlords either, by the signs of it. No, that's right. I mean, it's a really sort of depressing picture, isn't it? It's sort of almost Dickensian, really, the idea mm. of, you know, her and her daughter clinging together um, under a blanket. And of course, you know, some of this is that is down to, to housing design. I mean, you know, we've got a lot of very thermally inefficient um, homes in the north. You know, you've got a lot of um, single, um, single skin brick um, design, you know, these, a lot of these pre-1919 terraces, as I say, are cold, even, even on a, on a hot day. So it's, it's a significant issue. And yes, as you say, it's not just an issue for, um, for renters, um, also a, a, a big problem for owner occupiers as well. Absolutely. So let's talk a bit about evictions, I guess, before we, before we move on to the future. Um, we did have this eviction ban in place over this lockdown. Did that, from the people that you spoke to, provide any comfort or did it just kind of kick the can down the road to when that ended? Well, I think you get a really strong sense from the from the research that um, it hasn't made people feel any more secure. And I think exactly as you say that, it kicks the can down the road. I think there's just a, a sense of it delaying the inevitable. I mean, I think it's it is important to say that some of the respondents said that they felt that their landlords had been um, quite proactive. You know, mm. a, a small number said that their, their landlords had been proactive, had contacted them um, at the start to see if they could support them. But there was, uh, you know, too many who felt that their landlords had been completely unsympathetic. Um, and um, really were not interested in the fact that they were furloughed, um, were, were living on 80% of their, of, of their, of their previous um, income, and um, had obviously made it very clear that paying the rent needed to be an absolute priority. And, and what we saw in the research was people prioritising rent payments above things like food. So making decisions in that in that order. I mean, there was there were several respondents in there who talked about having cut down for their not this not just individuals. This is for families cutting down from three meals a day to two meals a day so that they could still pay their rent, but they couldn't afford to um, put food on the table three times a day and and pay the rent. And of course, children, you know, not being in school and, and not necessarily getting um, school dinners will have will have exacerbated that as well. Absolutely. And we've heard that whole um, argument between, you know, Marcus Rashford and the government yeah. this week, it, it just in itself about the difficulties faced in school holidays for for those children who do get free school meals. And it's been, well, heartwarming in a way to see all the businesses who have stepped in to bridge that gap. But it is a worry for, for people. Absolutely. Um, let's let's kind of just move on and kind of look 
look forward because we are looking at a pretty rubbish winter by the looks mm. of it. More and more pressure mounting for a national lockdown. You know, I don't have any insider information on whether that will happen or not, but a lot of places in, in the North are looking at, if they're not already in it, going into tier three restrictions, which is the highest tier, and maybe introducing a tier four, which is, you know, higher again and more restrictive and may see people confined to their homes again. Are you already hearing worries about what might happen over the winter months? I think it's hugely concerning for people. Um, and, and I mean, there's been an awful lot of discussion, you know, generally, I think, in society over um, recent weeks about people hitting this kind of six-month wall, about people mm. reaching the end of their resilience. And, and I, I, you know, I've spoken to many people who feel like that. And, and of course, if, if you are living in insecure, poor-quality housing where you, you're approaching a winter where you're not sure whether or not you're going to be able to heat your home and remain in your home, then it must be absolutely terrifying. I mean, it's it, it's heartbreaking, really, um, to think about it. So, yeah, I think it, it is a, a huge concern. I mean, you know, given that the, the, the private rented sector is now housing such a large proportion of the population, then we really need to see government bring forward the renters' reform bill that they promised. Um, mm -hmm. And this this was originally brought forward under Theresa May's government. Um, it, it, it was um, it was promised again at the time of the election, and um, we need to see an end to these these so called no fault evictions. And, and we need to improve security and conditions for people who live in the private rented sector. And we, we need people to feel able to exercise their rights around repairs and maintenance without thinking, is this going to lead to me being evicted or is this going to lead to me um, having, having my rent put up? So we really need to see government bring that forward now. Absolutely. Well, it does paint a worrying picture and I'm sure we'll keep up with it and keep up with you, Tracy, as we, as we go through the winter months. But thank you so much for coming on Podzone Country today and having a chat about the report. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. a really interesting chat with Tracy I thought and there are some issues there that are going to be really pertinent as we go into this winter as well now look let's let's talk to James Vincent who's BBC Yorkshire's political editor and um and see what he has to say about how reporting this pandemic has really been thank you so much for coming on Pods and Country how are you doing I'm very well Jerry thanks for asking me thanks for having me on no, of course. And I don't know what it's like where you are, but I'm looking out my window in my London flat and it is chucking it down. And it's a bit of a kind of foreshadowing, a bleak foreshadowing for this winter, really, isn't it? Yeah. What's it looking like in the breaking news is it's raining in Yorkshire uh, and, uh, yeah, the leaves are all on the floor and, yeah, it feels very autumnal and um, foreboding. It does. It does. And I, we were just chatting before we... Um, before we hit record today, you've been doing a lot of work from home, so have I, so as the rest of the country as we're kind of in the grips of uh, coronavirus still. And look, I don't want to date us, which is always a bit of an issue <laughs> that uh, we have on the um, pod zone country. But um, as we speak, as we record, talks are still ongoing with um, West Yorkshire and the government about whether 
you know, it's going into tier three, the tightest restrictions. What have what have you been hearing your end? I imagine like me, not much. Yeah, it's really funny, isn't it? Because I think we're talking to the same people and we're trying to get the same lines out of the same people. And it's all kind of been the same for the last, what, at least three weeks or so. So we know that the talks are going on and we know this week, especially they've been talking every day. Uh, it's slightly gone quiet today. Whether that whether that means something's going to happen in the next couple of days or not, I, I don't know. But it felt it's felt like personally we've 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 been doing the story, the same story for the last two or three weeks. But it's such an important story because everybody wants to know what's going to happen. And you know, we had South Yorkshire uh, go into Tier Three um, last week, and um, yeah, everybody's just desperate for that. Any sort of glimpse of a line that will tell us what might be happening in the next couple of days or so what's it been like for you is it is it been the same for you yeah really really similar you know it's just I think there's been some frustration hasn't there because you had Susan Hinchcliffe leader of Bradford um and also of the uh combined authority kind of saying that talks only really started this week but you've had you know ministers and the prime minister's official spokesman saying yeah. that talks have been ongoing Judith Blake said something similar as well in Leeds that that the you know leaders haven't really been spoken to. I think there's been a bit of an argy bargy about what actually constitutes talks <laughs> and negotiations. Yeah, there was um, a day last week, wasn't there, when we we kind of were saying the same thing about what what is a meeting? Is it a meeting if it's not a meeting? And when is a meeting actually a meeting? And when is it about three? <laughs> it's it's very very into some deep semantics at some points, isn't it? It really is. It really is. But we'll see. You know, we'll see what happens over the next. Um, few days I suppose but it is it is important and you know we heard um earlier in the week that Yorkshire in the Humber has the highest prevalence of coronavirus in that react study from Imperial so I mean the situation is is really worrying and we're hearing from readers and I'm sure you're hearing from your view is that people are really worried about this aren't they they are concerned yeah they're really really worried and uh they're also wondering what's going to happen with the national lockdown or what mm. might happen locally but i think the thing that people are really looking at at the moment is what's what's it going to look like at christmas and what is the what are the rules going to be at christmas and there's no you know this is one of the things that west yorkshire is calling for now even though they're not in tier three as we speak right now um they want to know what the exit strategy is that's what dan jarvis has been asking for in south yorkshire because all the way through this and this is why the stories have been so similar nobody's actually known what the criteria has been to go into tier three and nobody knows strictly what the criteria is to come out of tier three obviously it's a you know it's a very obvious thing to say obviously a downward trend in those infection rates is the is the first thing to start with but there's no kind of magic number for all of this and i think everybody they, they want to know, don't they? You know, what are we aiming for to try and get out of tier three and what do we need to avoid to, to go into tier three? But it's it's really difficult to, to, to say that to people because, you know, the government is making those decisions based on, you know, ICU numbers in hospitals and pressure on a- NHS and infection rates. But it's not as it's not easy to explain because there's not a sort of definitive guide to it all, is there? No, and it's also, you know, it's really um, interesting as well that it's not just, you know, Labour figures like Dan Jarvis and West Yorkshire leaders calling for that. Those 50 Tory MPs that yeah, wrote yeah. the earlier this week said the same thing, didn't they? We need an exit strategy. And the problem is, if you look at somewhere like Bradford, which has been in what is essentially tier two for ages yeah. now, rates haven't really gone down that much. They have gone down a bit, but you know, Bradford has continued to be at the top of that league table, that dreaded league table that we see of places with the highest rates. So you can see why people think, well, there's no exit strategy here because 
what has essentially been tier two for all this time hasn't really made that much of a difference. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the politicians are pressing the government on as well. From, from, from a Yorkshire point of view, it's, it's are these restrictions going to work? Because if you look at places like Bradford and you know you look across the Pennines to Greater Manchester, where's the evidence that it's working? That's what I guess the politicians are asking for as they're put into tier three, because they know that the pressure will be on them to try and get out of it. And, you know, Christmas is looming. I think what was the the review date for South Yorkshire is around sort of the 18th of November around then. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, you know, if, if it's not lifted, then does that mean it's definitely going to happen over Christmas? And, you know, we've seen what France and Germany are doing nationally. And yeah, there's a lot of people just wondering what their, what their Christmas is going to look like. And it might be a bit, a bit like this really, us, us talking via computers. Yes, absolutely. Oh, depressing. But I mean, I don't know about you, but I am absolutely knackered um, from, you know, not just reporting this, but this last year on kind of reporting this has been a bit bad, not to get too navel gazy, but, (laughs) you know, I think it's interesting for people to know kind of behind the curtain what this is like. And I think from my perspective, having to be immersed in it every day it does take it out of you because you can't turn off have you kind of been feeling the same because people we were talking now aren't we about people getting you know this six month burnout of all the restrictions i am definitely feeling that are you yeah i am i am feeling that it's it's interesting you mentioned a year i suppose you could you could even stretch it back further than that couldn't you in terms of brexit and those negotiations and we were you know forever on the train going down to london for different votes and then we've had you know elections to deal with at the end of last year i think the last time i saw you face to face was at six o'clock in the morning outside that um that dairy in west yorkshire the day before the oh, election. Boris Johnson hid in the fridge yeah classic. so that, yeah. I think that's the you know normally we're out on jobs and we kind of see each other relatively regularly uh, uh, and rob of course as well um but um it's it, it seemed like a, a long time ago now and yeah it, it got to january when sort of brexit was kind of um, done and dusted for a bit and things got back to normal in February and then everything changed in March again and it's been it has been relentless and you know I know journalists are meant to be on their phones all the time and that's how how we do our jobs but it's felt like I'm just on a constant phone call with different people or zoom calls with different people and it's it, it, the information there's there's a bit of an information overload isn't there you, you're kind of dealing with the same story every day and it's a really important story and you want to get it right and you want to make sure you're representing people in in, in Yorkshire and, and getting it right for them but it you know and, and working from home is, is is difficult in a sense because you know that work-life balance is there's a, there's a huge blurring between that and I know that our, our crews at Look North and our reporters at Look North are on the road every day sort of you know having to clean down the kit every time they do an interview and wearing masks and not able to go and do some interviews and doing interviews outside because that's the rules that we're, that we're under it's just tough for everybody and I think there's a lot of people feeling the strain but then we're there to try and represent those views of the businesses that are having a a hugely tough time and the people that are having you know really really rough times in terms of mental health because this is all putting pressure on pressure on people in all sorts of different ways isn't it absolutely no I completely agree and I think you're right what you said kind of about Brexit and an election and uh, it's just been it has been absolutely relentless Relentless I mean it's the word I keep using relentless it's just it's been it's been constant hasn't it 
it's absolutely constant and for for those of us who kind of live with people that aren't um aren't journalists I think we look a bit uh mad sometimes how even on your days off you're kind of checking what's going on because you can't switch off from it it's absolutely impossible yeah I decided I had a couple of days off this week and I uh even you know I, I put my work phone firmly away in a drawer but even my phone which has obviously got all the all the news apps that you normally use anyway I decided right I'm not looking at any news today I just I, you know it, it gets to a point where you, you think right I'm just gonna give it 24 hours and not keep up to date with things because it feels like it's been your life for eight months or whatever and longer than that yeah absolutely so I was interested to hear from you kind of what I guess some of the most frustrating bits of reporting coronavirus has been I mean I'll but for me it's things like you know leaks to national papers about lockdown restrictions and kind of this I think the government has maybe not always been as open with the information that it has as it could have been. How, what are your kind of feelings? What have your frustrations been on reporting this? Yeah, I know that the, the, the leaks to the national papers have, uh, uh, have been frustrating for journalists because I think that there's that, you know, that sort of that north south thing that's become, a you know, an even bigger thing in the last in the last few weeks. Hmm. There was a feeling that maybe the government was talking to national papers. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, there's been... Th- those frustrations have been there for for all all the journalists, and we, you know, we, our job, you know, I know you're down in Westminster. Our job up here is to talk to the politicians up here, and they they were expressing frustration that they weren't being kept in the loop about things. Yeah. But yeah, the, fr- the, the 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 sort of remoteness of it all is that is the frustration from my end of things. It's kind of um, what uh, what you can do and what you're trying to achieve and what your ambitions are to make something as good as it can be, but what what you're restricted by in terms of, oh, I'm working remotely. So that thing that I would normally do quite easily on a normal day, as there's five or six extra steps to, 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 you know, just get that material in and process that material and then try and think creatively about how to, how to do the story and how to best tell it to the audience. It's, I think everything's got an extra five or six steps and that, that takes its toll. Um, Yeah. And the the North South divide thing, I mean, that's, you know, that's what we've done a lot of in our careers isn't it Jerry you know you know the northern powerhouse or the red wall or the blue wall which you know by the way nobody uses in real life but it's one of those it's one of those political phrases isn't it um but you know that's what that's what we we do a lot of the time and it's just really interesting to see you know via those leaks in national newspapers and what happened in greater manchester and what's kind of happening in west yorkshire now it's just really interesting to see what we do every day in terms of making sure yorkshire has a voice it's you know it's on the on the national bulletins and it's just been really interesting i know you did you know you did andrew marr the other day uh, and i've been asked to write stuff for the bbc website it's just interesting that you know, we're maybe we're maybe we're getting more of a voice as regional journalists. What do you reckon? I think you're right. I think um, you know this is a bit of a throwback to when we were having those coronavirus uh, televised briefings every day. But I think regional journalism, in particular, really came into its own then. We, me and you, you know, would obviously say that regional journalism is always the best. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the rest of the country kind of saw that a bit and. You know, I, I definitely feel sometimes when you see these stories on the front of national papers, you think, yeah, I've been saying this. I've been saying yeah. this for weeks or months. So it's, but in, in you know, on, on the other hand, it is good that these arguments and these debates and these issues are getting, getting that kind of 
national um, national exposure. So it's a there's pros and cons. Yeah, <laughs> and the old the old mayoral, you know, the elected mayors that you know some places weren't that keen on, and some places still haven't got. They seem to be the the thing that's creating the argument, the 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 role that's creating the arguments to some extent, because they're they're standing up for their parts of the world. The government created the role, and they're having arguments with those mayors now. And and it's really interesting in West Yorkshire because you've got the combined authority and Susan Hinchcliffe there, who's chairing that. She obviously wants to be Labour's candidate for mayor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's you throw all of that into the mix about these negotiations, and there's there's so many layers as well, isn't there? It's really interesting, and you know what? Not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but running up to the next election, I think Yorkshire and the North is really going to be again the battleground that we look at. I think they really, you know, holds the keys to number ten. Yeah. We'll, uh, it's going to be a really interesting. Oh yeah, it's uh, that you know all, everything that's happened this year. What does that do to those MPs that are new in the in the sort of Yorkshire seats? How does that affect how? they've done with their communities and what people voted in December does that change things for when they vote next time I mean it's going to be it's going to be fascinating and obviously yeah it's our job to build up Yorkshire's role in the election but genuinely um, people are still talking about those seats being the thing that that changed things it's going to be the same next time around it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to those those seats again isn't it Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm going to let you go in a second because we've both got really, really busy days. We've just <laughs> talked about how busy it is. We? Um, but I'm really excited because you guys over at um, BBC have just launched a new Yorkshire podcast, haven't you? Yorkshire cast. Tell yeah. them about it. Yeah, Yorkshire cast. So it's, um, yeah, it's a bit of the, the politics of the week. Um, obviously, we do Politics North, which is our TV programme on a Sunday morning on BBC One. And it's kind of like a, a spin-off from that to, to some extent. And we... We get uh, a few people on to talk about what's going on. Obviously, it's been very sort of tier three uh, related in the first three episodes. Um, we had David Blunkett on last week, which was a really interesting listen to uh, listen to him talk about how he struggled with lockdown and what he feels about tier three as well. So that mm-hmm. that was a really interesting chat. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of a a work in progress. We're hoping that it all you know it'll it'll go for go for a while and I was I wanted to ask you for any advice because you've been doing it for a while now what 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 would you advise us to do you know what's the what's the advice from an experienced podcaster (laughs) you give me far too much credit (laughs) as I sit here recording in my bedroom (laughs) but oh god I mean what so we started Podzone Country in the election last year and I think it's been a really nice way to kind of really connect with readers on another on another platform you know you can really have a chat with people and that's what I like most about like just like we're doing um today but I'm really excited because I am going to come on Yorkshire cast as well we've got you on it's like we've done a sort of swap deal haven't we so to get us on each other's podcasts but absolutely Uh, you know nothing like a bit of healthy competition is there yeah absolutely I think that's exactly right uh yeah we'll be chasing the same guests and the same people you know I think with yourself and Rob, we're really keen to get um, some of the some of the journalists from Yorkshire on because you know I think that sort of experience of covering the story is part of it, and and like you say, the the casual nature of a podcast I think works really well. We're we're very used to kind of you know uh, writing in a formal nature or, or speaking on the radio or the television in a in, in that's you know kind of a formal way of doing things. I think it's really nice just to just to have a chat and have a coffee on the go at the same time and and talk about stuff and I think hopefully that's the sort of thing that people like to listen to absolutely and with that I'm gonna go put the kettle on myself oh, nice idea <laughs> thank you so much for coming on no, nice thank chat. you very much take care
Thank you so much for listening to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent. And as ever, you can find this podcast wherever you usually get your podcasts, whether that's Google Podcasts, whether that's Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music. I think you can even ask your smart speaker for us now, which is a very exciting development and one I've been trying out this week as well. Uh, We'll be back next week to bring you another podcast. This weekend at Augusta, it's the Masters. And with 50% off a Now Sports membership, you can catch every, 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 and every. Watch all four days of the Masters live with 50% off a Now Sports membership for three months, bringing you all 11 Sky Sports channels. Join in at nowtv.com. 18 plus, streamed via internet, offer ends 2nd of May, standard pricing after three months.